Good morning and welcome to LMH Live. Um, we're continuing to sort of follow our business story series um, by talking to entrepreneurs, you know, business leaders um, and thought leaders um, about their very inspiring stories. And this morning, I've got the pleasure of um, talking to Joe Cross, uh, who is well known as Joe the Juicer. He's also a filmmaker uh, for Fats, which his documentary Fats, Sick and Nearly Dead. But today we're sort of talking to to Joe the entrepreneur, Joe the businessman, because we want to hear a little bit more of an insight uh, from him on that. So, um, Joe, uh, welcome. Good morning, Gemma, um, from over there. It's evening time here in Sydney, Australia, but it's uh, wonderful to be with you. Thank you. Look, I wanted you to just perhaps, uh, for people that don't know you, just to go back to where it all began. Uh, the film or my business career? I'd start with your business career. Oh, wow. Well, I, um, I'm one of those sort of uh, individuals that never went to college. I basically left high school and um, I didn't do very well at high school, Gemma. I, I actually only just passed, like just by the smallest of margins. And I was quite young when I left school. I was 17 and a half and I really had no idea what I wanted to do because I mean, hey, who knows what they want to do at 17? I mean, come on. So I just said, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to get a job. I'm going to make some money and I'm going to go overseas and like see the world. So I was driving along and I heard an advertisement on the radio for a telex operator. So this is the days before faxes, before emails. This was telex operating for a stock exchange uh, or stockbroker to talk to the United States Stock and Futures Exchange. So I applied for this job. I must have misheard somewhere along the lines in there in the interview because I thought I was getting $300 a week. It was actually $120 a week. And when the first paycheck came, that was a big surprise. But I ended up getting this job working in finance. I had no idea what finance was. I was in there sending orders back and forth from the United States. I was on the gold desk, so it was about Comex. And then I was also just the regular paper boy or mail boy delivering mail around the uh, city offices for the bank that I worked for. Because I was like, I was at the bottom. I was right at the bottom. I mean, $120 a week, you'd want to be at the bottom, right? And then slowly when I started to realize what was going on around me, I was heading down to this thing called the futures floor, where all these guys were screaming, wearing colorful jackets, and basically counting up and having to add up really fast. And I was good at math, that was about all I was good at. And I had a loud voice. So I kept pushing the guys at the bank, my boss's 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 boss, could I get a start there? And basically I got a job when I was 17 and a half on the futures floor of Sydney. I worked for the one bank was called Elders Drexel for five years. Then I became a local trader, which is effectively a day trader. It's all fancy and everyone knows what a day trader is. Well, this was 1989 when I was a day trader and I became a day trader buying and selling futures contracts and trading on the trading floor, screaming out for myself and for nobody else. I did that for five years and then I looked around and I realized that I was paying a lot of commission and a lot of people around me were paying commission and I thought the money is being a broker, not being a trader. So I started a brokerage firm and I started that firm in 1994 and that company I owned and built. Um, I had partners and shareholders, but it was my really very first startup and I sold that in 2007, and we did very well on that. And it was right before the financial crisis. But what had happened was my 
wealth had increased, my bank balance expanded, but so did my waistline and so did the amount of meds and pills that I was taking. By the time 2007 came around, I was basically like 24, 25 stone. I sometimes get confused in going into the English vernacular versus the kilos versus the pounds, but I was well over 330 pounds. And what I needed to really do was to get my life in order. I was on medication for debilitating autoimmune disease that I had for eight years. So when I sold my company, I had a whole lot of other businesses because I went into a serial startup mode probably about six years after founding this company because the cash flow that was coming out of this business gave me money to sort of start other companies or invest in other people. So I kind of became an angel investor along that period. I had a lot going on and I wasn't focused on my health. I was focused more on wealth, which is not a good idea. And in 2007, I said, stop. And I decided to try and sell most of everything I had. I did my best to get out of everything I could, go to liquidity and go and focus on getting my health back. And one of the things I had not tried was really taking my food and dissecting it and stopping having all the processed food. So I decided to take a journey with a juicer and I thought I will juice fruits and vegetables for 60 days. So go a liquid juice diet and then I would eat fruits and vegetables until I was healthy. And I said, I'll give this two years. Well, it only took five months, 60 days of juice and 90 days of eating plants. And I was off all medication and I was back down to the fighting weight I was at high school. I'm bigger than that now, but that was then, that was 2008. I got down to this fighting weight and all of a sudden um, I felt amazing. I felt like a new person. I started to do more business again. And the, the actual one business that really took off was my film, the movie that I made. I decided to put a camera on myself simply because it was going to help me finish the journey, but also maybe inspire others. It was a way of giving back. And that movie released in 2011, and it was one of the top films on Netflix for many years. It also broke many records in terms of the views. It was premiered in London on Channel 5 in 2013 to 1.7 million viewers. So it actually ended up being a huge, huge success. And that then in itself drove me to a new business. And that new business was essentially doing something I'd never done before, which was being involved in health and wellness. And so these days, not, it's not, it's not everything that I do, but it's a big part of what I do is health and wellness. So I think Gemma's You've just dropped out, so I'll keep talking because Gemma will be back soon, I'm sure, to ask me more questions. But I'll just keep going with the story. Can you hear me, Joe? Oh, I can hear you now, Gemma. I just can't see you. You so, know what? I think I'm, 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 I'll just I'll keep, keep asking, asking you the questions, questions but for some but reason, reason my camera's frozen. Camera's frozen but, um, but, um, at least it's least not it's a bad shot of me frozen anyway. <laughs> no, no, no problem. Um, yeah, so you've covered off your movie, um, you know, but I was just sort of thinking, like, when you did Why Fat this you know, fat, sick and nearly dead. You know, you know, I know the purpose was to get well, but from a business perspective, like what was your sort of end goal? Was was that something that you would do to sort of make money out of a documentary? Uh, in the beginning, no. In the beginning, it was purely like a timeout in my life. It was it was not about the business of the film. I actually made them made the film thinking that the money I was putting into it was like a donation. It was never a business idea. It became 
a business with the success of the amount of people that were coming in to the film. So when you have like, you know, 30 million people watch your movie, that's a lot of eyes on your film that then want to buy a juicer, get involved in juicing, needing recipes, need a plan. So I built a company called Reboot with Joe, which basically did a lot of those things. I partnered up with a company called Breville and I partnered with them for five years with their juicer. And then recently, about three years ago, I decided that that juicer was good juicer, but it wasn't the juicer that I wanted to take to the next level. So I partnered up with some Americans and we got together and they're great friends of mine, great guys. And a, the business of Nama was launched and it, it, it's become a very, very uh, uh, a trusted brand, if you would like to say, in the world of juicing. And we have uh, just one product on the market. It's one juicer and it does an incredible job. And that's where the whole, the whole journey has ended up with me in the small appliance category, which who would have thought, you know, five, six, seven, eight years ago, 10 years ago, 13 years ago, 14 years ago when I started that I would be here today. And so if we just go back to um, how you sort of diversified sort of fat, sick and nearly dead into then becoming sort of more like a, a businessman again when you sort of founded sort of Reboot with Joe and, and you became Joe the Juicer. So if you... Um, with that, you know, I, I suppose it gave you a platform where you can still be a wellness advocate and you have that voice, but that all became more financially viable, I guess, for you because you then had had sort of uh, partners and sponsors, didn't you, like people that would that joined you um, and it became a business. Can you tell a little, little bit more yeah, about that? I mean, it, it became a multi-million dollar revenue business a year because you're selling books, you're getting fees for your, for your films, you are getting um, fees, fees. You're, you're generating products um, or revenue from products, from sponsorship, from services, and from content. They were, they were the, the main drivers. And uh, then the one thing that I was missing was the actual machine. And so I wanted to go to the next level. And while we still do all those other things, it's now more focused on the actual appliance itself because... At the end of the day, that I think is something that can really make a difference to people's lives. Having that machine and having that ability to take produce that they wouldn't normally eat, that they're able to, as a family, put that back in to their juicer and actually drink that and have that organised so they can pump up their micronutrient value. So, so I guess to sum it up, Gemma, is that my, my quest to heal myself opened me up to a new world where I was able to share what happened to me. And if I could do it, you could do it. And if you could do it, here's the tools and the sorts of products and services you need to be successful, to reclaim your health and to get your life back and essentially to reboot your life. Yeah, yeah. So, um, and I see you do some really great um uh, you know, demonstrations, don't you, from making your almond milk to doing your juicing, like all the different things that we see on, on Instagram. Yeah, I think like what people it. see me do when I'm posting is a small part of my life and what I do in, um, in, in business. Um, because, you know, it's, no, it's, no, it's not interesting doing a social media story of me working on spreadsheets um, 
or working on a business plan or reading about what's going on in all different aspects of the world. For example, you know, I have, a, I have another business which I'm involved in, another startup, which is an indoor farm in Miami and growing uh, leafy greens indoors. And so by being involved in the world of juice and of produce, that has led me into the world of wellness and of food supply and uh, it, it opens your eyes to all these other opportunities that are out there. So, you know, for me, I don't differentiate between uh, a work day and a day off. To me, they're all the same because my work is not my work and my days off are not days off, if that makes sense. It's I'm learning, I'm reading, I'm inquiring, I'm a very inquisitive person. I'm, I, I talk to people in my business probably more on a Saturday and Sunday than I do during the week with some of these businesses because that's the only time they have available. So it, it really is, um, it all blends, Gemma. And because I'm now down in Australia, because I was living in Los Angeles before COVID hit and I came down here, what's actually uh, happened is that I've ended up, you know, morphing much more to use technology to do what I do. And that's working out great for the time being. So it's, um, it's interesting how humans, we've adapted, we adapt really well, and we've adapted extremely well now. I believe um, those of us that are fortunate enough to be able to work remotely, uh, most of the people I've spoken to have adapted quite well. Um, I think everyone's looking forward to a return to some kind of normal. But as far as the adaptions can go, gone, uh, on my end, you know, I just, I just basically always, always have played the hand I've been dealt. I don't complain. I don't wish I should have this or wish that. I just play what I've got in front of me. And I've always found that, you know, you just sort of focus. There's an old saying, I, I don't know who wrote it. You probably heard it. It's like the, the past is history, the future a mystery. Now is a gift, and that's why they call it the present. And I'm all about the present. I'm all about being in the now because right now, what we're talking, we're not getting this time back. And this is the now. And every business that I've been involved in, time is the enemy. And do you know why, Gemma, time is the enemy? No, why? No, why? Because <laughs> if you're a startup, I should have said for startups, is because that's when cash is burning. And you have to get to the point where your business crosses the chasm and you leap over where most startups go and then they fall and they crash. You want to actually leap over that chasm and actually become a sustainable long-term business. And so time in a startup is incredibly precious and you've got to make the most of it. So that attitude I have expressed in every business I've been involved in, and I sort of drill it home uh, to, to the point where people get sick of me talking about it. <laughs> well, actually, well, that's actually, the whole that's purpose of today. Um, um, so, so, you know, when you, so I guess more and more you've become Joe the Juicer too, like the global health advocate. So do you find that, um, that you also, um, you know, now you get asked to sort of talk um, and be an ambassador and, you know, I guess you've become your own identity too, haven't you? You know, stepping away sort of from Reboot with Joe, but you're, you are your own identity now. You're an ambassador, you know, for, for health. Well, I think, I think the way I look at it 
is that I'm a storyteller, Gemma. And, you know, mm. that's a nice photo of me up there on the screen, but you know, that's where the lighting's good and, you know, I've had a haircut that day by the looks of it. But <laughs> at, the, at the end of the day, I am not like an expert on health. I'm not, my brother's a doctor. He's done 15 years of study to actually treat people's, you know, problems. He's a sports medicine doctor. So what I think I am and the way I look at it is that I'm a storyteller and I'm somebody who is probably more of a coach, Gemma, if you like. I'm, I'm more of someone that's like a coach. And what does a good coach do? They reinforce to the star or the player or whoever they're coaching, the musician, whoever it is, they already know what they're doing, but they bring out the best in them. And see, I believe that most people out there that are in the world that I communicate with, they kind of know what to do. They don't need me to tell them what to do. What yeah. they like to hear from me is the rah, rah, let's go get them, you can do it talk. So yeah. I'm more of a motivator, storyteller, um, inspiring sort of um, personality in that respect. And I think that your way you achieve that is by being vulnerable, by explaining that you're not perfect, by talking about your successes as well as your losses, um, by just being as honest and transparent as you can because people can tell if somebody's not real. If somebody's being dishonest, if somebody's actually talking themselves up, people have a, they have a sixth sense and they can tell that. And so I think that's part of what I've always tried to, to deliver through this lens and through the camera, whether it's a film, whether it's a podcast, whether it's a live stream, whether it's anything, is that um, you just got to keep it real and you just, no one's perfect. And every, every now and then, you're going to make mistakes. Sometimes you're going to make them more than, you know, you want to. I've been there. And you just got to work out that, hey, you know, no one's perfect. You pick yourself up and you say, today, this moment, I can change. I can change this. I can actually make a difference. And so I see myself more as a motivating person, Gemma. You know, not yeah. so much, oh, well, if you've got this rash, then you should take three drops of this, take a leaf of that. And did you know that in the Amazon desert, this leaf? No, that's not who I am. There are plenty yeah. of other people that are good at that stuff. But I'm about ensuring that you get off the couch, that you get that crap out of your fridge, and that if you want to move better, breathe better, you want to sleep better, you want to have clearer skin, you want to have um, a zest for life, then you quite simply have to eat more foods that are alive than are dead. Simple. Yeah. Right? Yeah. yeah, so you're saying, yeah, and I think that's um, that's a valid point because there's a lot of people that, um, you know, have realised, I think, through this, um, you know, remote working we've had to go through, that um, if you're going to sort of connect to these live streams, and everything, it's about being real, about having a core purpose, and then everything else comes, comes around that. And I think one thing you've done, um, and I know that's something that we've been telling all of our clients is to stay connected, like, you know, you're there in Australia and you kind of decided to move that way, didn't you, when it all started um, when you were in LA? Um, 
but you you know how have the effects of sort of remote working has that been a benefit for you like have you managed to continue working even though yeah, you're look, I have, we can take that photo down now because i'm just looking at myself right and by the way that's our old juicer it's not our new one Gemma. i should have given you a photo with our new one but oh, okay. what i've what i've what i have found and everyone else in the world of e-commerce has found is that in the last sort of nine to 12 months, we have seen an increase in e-commerce that was sort of seen within the 12 to 13 years beforehand of growth. So we have seen an absolute explosion in e-commerce transactions. And, you know, my parents who are ordering things online, they are not going backwards. They are staying exactly where they are. It is, it is, truly a transformational event the amount of online activity in terms of transactions and sales i think the us is somewhere up to 25 percent of of all disposable sales now or all, all of them their sales are on online and that is you know that's extraordinary to have at least a quarter of um of retail sales so you know, yes, I've adapted, and uh, you know we're hanging in there. And um, I don't, I don't think it would be good for another two years, Gemma. But certainly, we're all hoping that the end of this year things will be uh, be as close back to normal. And certainly, twenty twenty two will see some um, some semblance of what it was like back in twenty nineteen. Yes. Now, um, I'm still here, by the way. I don't know what's going on with this bit of jamming with the... I guess it's probably because I'm in London and, and you're in Australia. <laughs> um, oh, well, the photo is still up there. I don't yeah, know I'm, not, I'm actually not seeing the photo. I think um, I, I'm seeing you, so I think that's just oh, on, that's your, on your oh, side. Well, okay. so, yeah, but um, I thought, look, just... Um, um, so just as, you know, coming to the end of, uh, you know, our, our interview, I really wanted to try and see if we can go down to some top tips I'd say of um, of your business experience like you've you've been a businessman like right from the beginning you know and I guess you then became an entrepreneur you then went through a period of, um, of you know just focusing on your health then your health became your business and your wealth so why don't you okay, so here's what I would say Gemma. top tips yeah I would say that um the first people I would speak to is those people that are out there that are working right now. Okay, for all those people that are working for somebody. Um, I would say to them that there's two things that they really need to tick the box on when it comes to what they're doing right now in the job they're doing. And that is number one, they need to be learning. And number two, they need to be appreciated for what they're doing. Yeah. And I always say to people, if you have got those two things going for you, if you're learning and you're appreciated, stick to what you're doing. But if you don't and you've only got one or heaven forbid you don't have both of those, time for change, time to move on. And that's definitely if you have, don't have both. If you have one and not the other, it's sort of no man's land and you need to get that other one back up, whether it's been appreciated or the learning. So that's what I'd say to those people that are out there working for somebody. To the people that are entrepreneurs, you know, the idea of being an entrepreneur, you know, you really have to, you know, I think that I'm just trying to, trying to sort of encapsulate this, but you need a few things. If you're going to be an entrepreneur, you know, you need to be able to 
take risks. You know, you need to be able to to put everything on the line. And that's hard to do. That's not easy. You need to be able to make sacrifices, right? Make huge sacrifices, um, not just financial, but time, whether it's your family, your friends, your loved ones, uh, things you love to do yourself. You've got to make huge sacrifices because as I talked about earlier, time is of essence. And the third thing I would say is you really need to be passionate about what you're doing. If you're not passionate about it, then get out of it. You've got to, in order to take those risks and in order to, to be able to make those sacrifices, it'll only really work if you're super passionate about what you're doing. You've got to love it. You've got to be yeah. obsessed with it. So that's the sort of success stories that I've seen in startups. They, they have those characteristics. It's not about the money. It's about building a business. It's about building something that works that people want and that people need and that is not easy to replicate. So, you know, the reason why somebody who works in a hotel that is in um, housekeeping gets paid a base salary or a base wage is because there are thousands and thousands of people who can do that job. So they are replaceable. It's just a bit of labor to do a job, fold a sheet, rip a sheet off a bed, clean out the bathroom. It's a, it's a, it's a tough job. I'm not demeaning the job, but it's a job that can be done by thousands of people with that skill. If you go into AI programming of a level where you are programming, say, self-driving cars, there are fewer people that can do that job. And therefore, the demand for those people is high and therefore the price paid is higher. So a lot of people don't really understand that it's not about how hard you work, it's about the competition around you for what you're doing. So the same applies for entrepreneurs. You don't want to go and do something and spend all your time doing something that a thousand people are doing. It's going to be very difficult to be successful. So that's what I would say, Jen. Yeah, and yeah, and look, I think it's, I think it's, it's, also, it's also very hard, very hard to, to be. A lot of people think. I mean, there's a reason why a lot of people want to do startups is because there's a benefit for working yourself in one way because I guess you have some control of your time, even though I don't think anyone realizes until you go into it that that time. It's, it's, it's so much more than what you would probably normally have put in when it's not your business and your idea because your neck is completely on the line, isn't it? And you just have to make it work regardless, you know. Um, but I think that, um, but you know, and then once you crack it, like you have, like you would say, you, you know, you're a successful, you know, entrepreneur, you're a successful yeah, businessman now. Yeah, but I've had that failed. I, you know, I had a business in New York, which was sort of a child sort of a, uh, like a club for parents and their kids in New York, and that failed. And you know, I lost uh, three million dollars on that on that deal. And you know, I don't always win because nobody always wins, Gemma. Yeah. Okay? Nobody always wins. Nobody's that good. So it's all about um, when you get beaten, you pick yourself up, you dust yourself off, and you keep moving forward. You don't give up. And that's 
you know, when I look at businesses now that I invest in or want to be involved in, it really comes down to the calibre of the person leading the team. You know, what contribution and how inspiring and will they find a solution to any problem? Because business is 99% of the time finding, you know, solutions to problems. So yeah. There's skills you've got to look for and they're hard to find. And and so now you know you've you've as you say you've you've achieved so much I think um, in in various different journeys I suppose um, some winning some losing like what's next for Joe Cross do you think? Oh well, I'm going to keep on going with the with the juicer. The Nama juice is very exciting. We're just getting started on that. Really, it's you know only in our second full year of uh, of operating business, so we're very excited about that. And also my farm down in Miami, which uh, is still early days, but that's Super exciting. So in one business, I'm, I'm providing people with the stuff they can eat and the other one that they can take what they're going to eat and put it through a juicer and drink it. So, you know, I like to think I've got both ends covered. And so can you tell us just briefly about your farm? Because I don't think we've covered that. Yeah, so I, I, I am a founder of an indoor farm down in Miami and what we do is we grow uh, leafy greens under lights and uh, we don't need any sunshine. We use... Um, lights powered by electricity, which we have a great rate in Miami because there's a nuclear nuclear facility down there, so the rates are quite reasonable. Uh, we use 10% of the water, sometimes even 7% of the water that a normal farm would, and we produce a beautiful butterhead lettuce in five weeks, and if you tasted this lettuce and you could just feel it, I mean, everyone would want this lettuce if you could taste this lettuce. You know, there are fundamental issues at play with the food supply in the United States. 95% of the lettuce is grown on the West Coast. People on the East Coast, takes four weeks for that lettuce to get to them, so they're not getting it fresh. They're getting it after it's been uh, essentially stored, frozen, sanitized for a four week period. So you imagine how not good that tastes. So we're all in this new world of how do we, how do we bring, how do we make things more localized? How do we grow closer? to your customer. Um, and you know, you can't grow lettuce in Miami, it's too hot and humid, right? But you can yeah. grow them in an indoor farm. And so we can have a fresh harvest every day if we have a big enough space. So it's pretty exciting stuff. And uh, right. that's a good example of a business that I'm in because I believe in the next 20 years that you know that's gonna be huge. I'll, I'll give you one fact to leave you with, Gemma. In 1990, yeah. Less than 1% of tomatoes were consumed by Americans were grown indoors. Today in America, 40% of all the tomatoes that Americans eat are grown indoors. So the trend is there and my future's trading days, you know what I used to learn? Your trend is your friend. <laughs> Sounds like a good motto, actually. I think we'll be using that one at Element. <laughs> Now, I'm sorry about um, uh, freezing again on you, but I am still here. But I think um, we might wrap it up now. I really appreciate you coming on. I okay, just, um, I the video works because all I'm seeing is a photo of myself. So let's uh, hope that it works and people, what they're going to see is better than that. <laughs> no, I think I can see what they're seeing. Um, so apart from me being frozen on the screen, I think we're all good. <laughs> okay, fantastic. Well, um, there you go. These are the problems that you do get in this modern day world. But hey. What happens with live TV, hey?
you have um, to just you have to just roll with the punches and not complain because if this is going to worry you, then you know you've got other problems in your life. Yeah, exactly. Well, thanks so much for joining us, and um, and we will um, definitely catch up with you soon. Look forward to it, Gemma. Thanks for having me. See you later. And juice on.